Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP11. This week on TWIP, when disaster strikes, photojournalism stands tall, getting the perfect shot. Also, Flickr jumps into book publishing and an interview with Jared Bauman of Shoot.Edit. It's Wednesday, November 20th, 2013, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today, or today, to discuss some of the topics that happened this week and more are Mr. Doug Kay and Ms. Valerie Jardine. Jardon. Jardin. Jardin. <laughs> you choose how you would like Valerie's last name to be pronounced. So. <laughs> hey, Valerie. How are you doing? Hey, hey guys. Doing? All right, guys. Uh, so welcome back. For, so first off, Doug, you and I, I feel like you and I have been hanging out more than any other person I've hung out with on the planet in the last couple of weeks. So I know sad. what's up with you. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been hosting the show. I feel like you're you're slowly changing into Frederick, like a slightly grayer version of Frederick. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Maybe that's where you're getting gray hair. <laughs> yeah, it might be it. It might be it. I don't know. I'm getting better looking. I don't know uh, what's happening. No, 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 no. So, so Doug, tell us what's been going on. You know, we had we did a we did a podcast or a, a, a episode of All About the Gear earlier. What did we talk about? We did. We talked about the Sony um, RX100 Mark II. Look, there it is. And uh, <laughs> you couldn't resist, I, could you? You could I not had, resist doing I had, that. <laughs> I had to show off camera two. If you got camera two, use it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's for an upcoming episode. We've got uh, some great ones coming up. We've we just published the 70D show. We've got the just for Valerie. We've got the Fuji XE1, uh, which is at least it's Fuji, right, Val? Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? We got well, we got the uh, Panasonic Lumix GX7 coming up. Yes, so the next know. next few weeks, we're going to have a lot of great shows out in the air. It has been all about the gear lately, hasn't it? It has. It has. Yes. Well, welcome yeah. back, Doug. It always. It is always about the gear. All right. Sorry. Mm, I disagree. I disagree. Sometimes it's about the gear. Valerie, you don't believe it's all about the gear, do you? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, but I uh, enjoy the gear I'm using. Um, yes. And actually, interestingly enough, I'm starting to sell some of my Canon lenses. So, Ooh. yes, I figure, so okay, this one are... I haven't used in a year. Most likely I'm not going to use it, like the 70 to 200. And so some some cool stuff. So this is not and just a, just, just a sordid a affair with that Fuji. <laughs> this is a full-on relationship. Yes, and I want to try new new things, but definitely uh, going smaller. Yeah. Wow. So um, so it's it's been uh, kind of fun, and uh, so I'm kind of adjusting to a slower pace because it's been a busy uh, photo workshop year, and now I have a few weeks of just uh, enjoying winter in Minnesota and writing. <laughs> <laughs> do do and those actually go together? Enjoying yeah, really? winter. <laughs> Well, it depends how you look at it. And that's, yeah. there's and, some optimism there. She said a few weeks. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking, think, wait a minute, it's not even December yet. Yeah. No, and then uh, workshop season starts again in February with Australia. I'll be in Melbourne and a uh, few spots left for that. And then a uh, few U.S. cities and then Paris and Normandy again in June and September. And they're starting to fill up. So it's it's looking good for next year. I'm excited. Valerie, you have just a horrible life. You're you're <laughs> It just sounds so terrible. I don't know how you bear it. Uh, there's some there's some bad days, but not too many, thankfully. Yeah, but at least even those bad days, you're not carrying around heavy gear anymore, right? That's right. Hey, lightening the load. <laughs> now, are you are you shooting primarily with that Fuji? Is that your main driver? And uh, for street photography, yes, I've uh, I've been participating in the Samsung Image Logger program for the mm -hmm. past couple months, so kind of playing with their gear, which has been fun. Um, right now I've been playing with the Galaxy NX, which is this super connected Wi-Fi 4G camera. Uh, <laughs> it's a little too techy for me, you'll say. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting, and as an educator, I think it's important to keep up with the latest because it's only a matter of time until... Every camera is 3G, 4G, whatever, yeah. and um, and it's quite uh, quite an interesting uh, quite interesting ride. So, well, give give me give us the just the quick synopsis of that camera because that's that that's that super phone but highly capable camera mix, right? I mean, and coming, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on it coming from the DSLR world, migrating into mirrorless with the Fuji X100s, and now that guy. It, playing around with it. How do you feel about it? Who Who is that camera slash phone for? Well, that's actually what I'm trying to figure out. Um, <laughs> if you I, have to figure <laughs> it out, Valerie. <laughs> no, not, because I, it's not for the, it's not for pro photographers, but it's not for your average photographer. Well, actually, it has so many cool function in the smart mode where, mm. for example, you can go into snow mode. And even if you're a, a a basic photographer who who do not know anything about exposure compensation, you will never have another gray snowy picture ever again because this camera has a function for snow. Well, it will um, uh, overexpose to get cool. white snow, for example. And it has some really fun little things that I haven't used, but I've kind of you know demoed them. Um, like it has a and, and then that must be what the what the public wants. Uh, it has um, a function for children photography where the camera will make those really goofy sounds to get the child's attention to look at you. Well, it instead probably of, works for it probably works for pets too. This, instead of the adult <laughs> making the sounds, the camera will make the sounds. Well, you know, I'm sure they answered a need because who yeah. is, you know, so many. I, I've photographed kids before, and you're making all those funny uh, gestures, you know, as you're holding that is the camera. Kind of interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. So it has a lot of really fun um, features. I've only been using it in raw mode. I'm using it the old-fashioned way. Let's put it this way. It gives me the weather when I turn it on. It's not really something I need from my camera, but I'm. I mean, there is an there is a public for that. I mean, there's an audience for this type of camera. There's definitely a market for this. Is it and, is it more phone than it is camera, or is it more camera than it is phone? That's hard to tell. I mean, it it comes with some <laughs> you know pretty cool <laughs> lenses. Uh, I use it as a camera only, so for me it's a camera. Huh. But for for some people, you know, it you you photos directly go to the cloud uh, right after you take them. Which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. It is cool, and it has this giant Galaxy S4 screen. 
and it's touch so you can expand the picture a hundred percent you know to see if it's sharp which is really good like I did some panning with it and that was really helpful because when you pan it's kind of like a surprise you know <laughs> when you get into the digital darkroom how many shots yeah. do you actually get sharp and with this you can look right away and, and know if you're, you're panning I wonder though I wonder on one of the episodes that we recorded today Doug we were it was the RX100 and I was playing devil's advocate asking who is this camera for and this camera the one that Valerie's testing sounds like it might be in that space where it's it's the camera that you take with you when you want or the phone that you take with you when you just want something that's a little bit more than your than a camera phone but you don't want to take a gigantic or gigantic and I'm using that in quotes mirrorless camera with you Right? Can it fit well, in that, there, you guys? It looks it looks bigger than this little Sony. How big is it? it well, it's the size of a of a of a Samsung phone, you know, in okay. in, in length. In other words, big. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the size of a, a Galaxy S4 phone because it's the exact same screen in the back, okay. and um, but it's smaller than it's the size of a very small DSLR. It's super light. Ergonomically, it's super comfortable. Um, so I don't know. I am would you sure buy there's some. Would you buy it, Valerie? Well, it's actually it's it has a huge price tag. So it's, how much? Uh, it's uh, with the kit lens. I think it's selling for seventeen hundred bucks. With what? I think with the kit lens. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. It's not like you said seventeen hundred bucks. Really? Yeah, seventeen hundred. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's not a cheap camera. Well, so again, it, then it who's is... it for then? I mean, who well, who's the, the person that's going to pay that kind of money? I don't know. Maybe I'm but, just. Uh, but you know, there a lot of people want to be on connected at all times, and if they have a, a good camera attached to their to whatever their mobile device, and they can be on Skype on their camera, maybe. Well, most you of know, these mirrorless. Most of these mirrorless. Um, well, yeah, I see what you're saying because it's, it's a phone though. with all the apps in there that you can. Yeah. Just use oh, those, anyway. and then it's a super camera with the smarts of the phone. Hi okay, yeah, and, I get and, that. And it's no, a new category. And then, and then lane, uh, you know, all their lenses. I have, uh, I've been using a fisheye with it. Uh, right now, I have the 30 millimeter um, mm-hmm. 2.0 on it, which mm-hmm. is a good lens. Um, and all there is a, a seven, uh, I don't remember, 70 to 200 or something like that too. So, would you shoot that? Would you shoot that on one of your workshops on a photo walk um, and like and use actually, it as a primary? I I brought it. I used it in Paris last October. I had just mm-hmm. received it, so I was just learning to use it, and um, and I enjoyed using it. It's not as fast as the the Fuji um, for street photography, mm-hmm. and it's not as inconspicuous. But um, but for landscape and cityscape, I've I've had fun with it. Um, then again, it's getting some new firmware. It's I don't even think it's been released to the public, or it just it was just released. So this was a an early how do you call it before it hits like the a market. A beta or prototype. Or yeah. Whatever. So um so they're not it's not exactly the way they're they are when they're sold in the store. But um so it yeah I don't know, but uh, I know kids today really want to be connected, and I can see some. Some moms who want to get some cool pictures of their kids who would shoot JPEG in one of those smart modes. Sure. Why not? You know, yeah. there is even a fireworks mode. There is a night photography mode. Uh, tons of separate, you know, different smart modes that I haven't used yet. <laughs> I'm using it the old-fashioned way. I even use the micro card and pull it out and put a little adapter. Yeah, the, the little the card adapter, yeah. 
Yeah. Are you I gonna think, Are you gonna write up a review on that thing for for um, the digital photography school or anything? Probably not. I've just um, po I I blog and um, I just post pictures okay. with it. Okay. Yeah. That's about it. Interesting. Well, thanks for that mini review. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear what your final results are. And, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm going to be using the uh, NX300, which I hear is more for like street photographers. So yeah. I'm excited yeah. about that. I'm wondering the final verdict will be if if Valerie would actually write a check for that camera. Would you? <laughs> Well, right now I don't have to. I can play with it. So I, I know, but <laughs> if you had to, would you? Is it compelling enough for you to say, you know what? I gotta have this thing. I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna write a check. Probably not this one, but I'm I'm more excited about the uh, NX300, uh, mm -hmm. just because it's it's more me. I think. Okay. All right, guys, before we continue, a quick heads up that I uh, just want to let you all know, listeners, that our friends over at Creative Live, I think we mentioned several months ago that they had a gigantic, I forget how much it was, in the millions, double-digit millions uh, dollar investment into their company. They're doing, if you're not familiar with Creative Live, they do online training, but the business model is you can watch for free, you can watch the, the training for free as the instructor goes through it, then if you want to purchase the replay or the downloadable or access to the online uh, streaming version so that you can watch it at your own leisure, then you pay for the you know a nominal fee to get access to it. But you can watch for free all day long as long as your schedule permits. Well, the news is a couple days ago they got another injection of cash, $21.5 million to continue building out the Creative Live universe. So congratulations to those guys. It's uh, it's amazing to see what they're doing. And they, they're branching out beyond just photography. I think they started, uh, Chase Jarvis and those guys started it in just the photography sort of vertical, but it's expanded out into all kinds of different things because it turns out the model works for, you know, anything that needs to be trained on. So Definitely check out check out Creative Live and see what they're doing over there if you haven't been over there. They're at creativelive.com. Okay, and uh, before we jump into the news, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's Shutterstock. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips, if you're looking for images for your website, your blog, a print ad, trade show swag, or even apps, Shutterstock is the way to go with over 10,000 new images added each and every day. Shutterstock has a global image collection. You can find image across the world to suit your project. Plus, you can choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. You can choose whichever fits your needs, and you never have to compromise. And if you need just one image for your blog or a mock-up, you can do that too. You can download any image in any size, and you pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, just take them. You can easily curate and share pictures via light boxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own light box or gallery as you search. And you can also use your iPad to search on the go and add them into your gallery. There's a ton of stuff available on, on Shutterstock. You've got multiple content types. They've got a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips should you need any of those at any time. And you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions you might have. And they've all, they also have 24-hour 
support throughout the week. You can sign up for free. Just go to Shutterstock.com, sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. And when you find the images you like and decide to purchase, be sure to use the offer code TWIP11 to get 30% off any package. Once again, that's Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP11. And I personally would like to thank Shutterstock for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, we're back. Let's uh, let's jump into the news. The first story, just wanted to have a quick discussion with you guys. In the last show, or last week, in episode 334, we were talking about the, sort of the devaluation of photo jur- the, the profession of photojournalism, and specifically how the, the, the worth, or not so much the worth, but just the, how photojournalists are being... Uh, endangered in a lot of ways with the newspaper laying the newspaper newspapers laying them off and magazines not purchasing photojournalistic work and just it's just not a good scene for photographers that want to go into photojournalism however the spin on that that I wanted to go into this week is the positive sign on it and that's where when major disasters or natural disasters or some sort of newsworthy event happens then suddenly we see all these amazing images coming out about this particular event, and boom, we see how important photojournalism is again. It, you know, especially with the, the typhoon that we just had in the Philippines and all the imagery that came out of that that would not have been possible. Yeah, sure, we would have we we could get amateur shots all day long, but the professional shots we wouldn't have had that without photojournalism or photojournalists in there on the ground doing what they do best. So I wanted to put it to you guys and get your thoughts on this from two different perspectives. Valerie, I want to chat with you first about this. So photojournalism as a, an overall career field, when you look at it, you know, we talk about it in the context of newspaper photography going away and all that. How do you feel about it? I mean, is is that profession from your perspective, is it is it just morphing? Is it going away or is it just here to stay no matter what? Well, I think it's in danger, and it's it's sad because, as you said, the, there's nothing that will ever replace the the visual impact of a photograph, especially when you need to get people's attention, just like this this um, catastrophe in in um, the Philippines, and um, and those images that um, that have been um, that popped up and that you link to mm-hmm. are are really um, Great images. Well, of of course, if if newspapers start uh, relying on just the average guy with a smartphone for their imagery, yes, they'll get free free pictures, but mm-hmm. it, it's not going to have the same impact, and and it's going to be a disservice of the people who need the help. And those images will will have impact. Um, or at least a better chance. I mean, yeah. Exactly. That's the whole part of being a photo journalist. It is telling the story through photos. It's not just taking photos of a random incident. Even if the photo is technically competent, it's the photojournalism is telling the story through photos. Doug, what do you think? Where do you stand on this? I mean, you've seen this stuff happen over time, and so the decline with all the different news stories that we talk about on TWIP, and now here we are, we have a natural disaster, and boom, suddenly it's like, oh, okay, I kind of understand now. It's not just about sports photography and that sort of thing. This is really important. What, what do you say about it? Well, Valerie's right. I mean, these, the particular images that we looked at in, uh, on the website theatlantic.com are spectacular mm-hmm. images. I mean, just 
uh, by all standards in terms of storytelling and technical quality and so forth. And mm-hmm. they they tell the story of the uh, typhoon in a way that you're not going to get any other way. But you know, if we if we take a look back at this, I mean, I'm a photographer. I I wish that um, journalistic photography was a viable career. Um, but the fact is that it may it never was. It was always artificial. And that is, if you look at how money goes into newspapers, money doesn't come in because of photography. Money comes in because of advertising. And it's the advertising that supports the various editorial and uh, journalistic functions of the magazine. But it's a snake eating its tail, right? Because the advertise, people want to advertise because there are eyeballs on the, the medium, which is the newspaper, and the eyeballs come there because of the content, which is partly but that's, photography. But that's not really true in the case of newspapers. Mm. Newspapers survive because of classified ads. That's true. People, people that bought newspapers. People bought newspapers to read classifieds. They bought, they, they paid money to advertise. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if we look back on this in 50 years, we're going to say Craigslist is what brought down journalism. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were saying you know, that we were saying that 10, 15 years ago that right. Craigslist was going to kill the newspapers. But they're still here. Why, no, why, no, but they're, why are they still here? Why are they not well, dead yet? Because they're they're a fraction of what they used to be, and they've had to cut costs. Circulation is down, and um, you, you know we're just now seeing the fact that these places. I think the story in last week's show was fifty percent of the uh, photographers. What, what was it? A particular newspaper? I can't remember. It was in last week's show, but it was. Um, that was like 10 years ago. Derek. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so much has happened. That was like 20 hangouts ago. Come on. What are right. you talking about? But, but the fact is that, you know, only finally we're down to 50% uh, cut in terms of photographers for this particular newspaper. And, um, you know, we've held, they've held on as long as they could. I, you know, I get hate mail for this, but I think it's, it's unfortunate that this is a direction that was inevitable given the internet and everything else that's happened in the last 20 years. Now, Valerie, with that with the, the camera that you're testing, a Samsung, connected all the time, you know, in, and so in effect, you could be a photojournalist on the ground taking pictures and sharing them to Google Plus or to Twitter or to Facebook real time as the disaster or the news event unfolds. Do you think that sort of, is that... In other words, is, is the ability to do that or the technology to do that, the fact that it's here right now, does that supplant the, the need for storytelling? In other words, because yeah. we can do real-time photos on the ground and let people figure out the story as it's happening, do we really need photojournalists to go in later and weave the story because people can actually see it while it's happening? Yes, but um, the, the camera is not going to tell the story, though. We need the whatever 12 inches behind it uh, that's going to tell the story. Um, because um, you can take, you know, can send someone with uh, the best camera ever built who doesn't know how to tell a story in a frame, and it doesn't make a difference whether they have a, a $10,000 camera or a, a smartphone. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's the... It's, it's the vision that's going to make the impact. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's still I I would argue there's you can look at it from two different perspectives because there's the micro story or yeah. you know say in the case of the Philippines there's a 
thousands and thousands of little micro stories or, or, or human interest stories that happen on the ground there that the photographers can go in and drill down into to give people a sense of the tragedy from a really human perspective. So that's the photojournalism side of it. But then there's just the plain blanket documenting the event where, hey, I just want to see what's going on. Show me buildings, show me destruction, show me water damage, that kind of thing. So which one is right? Because the, the first one takes a lot of time, takes a lot of artisanship and brains and technical competency to go in there. And like you were saying, Valerie, that 12 inches behind the camera to tell the story, mm-hmm. whereas the other one is just kind of click, 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 click. Exactly. You know, you can do a panorama. Okay, we got it. It's done. I, I think there is a need for both. I mean, there is the average photograph that's going to go on CNN or whatever, and then there is the storytelling, impactful image that's going to be used to raise awareness and money to help those people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we need both. We need the quick shot. To, for the sense, sense, I can't say that word in English. Sensationalism. Is that what you're saying? Okay. That was it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and but we need the the impact of of the well composed image with a story um, for the the nonprofit organizations who are going to raise awareness and and bring give bring help to those people. Yeah. So, but I wonder, like Doug, when you when you look at it, those two scenarios that I painted, you know, the drilling down into sort of the human interest side of it and creating a, a story, National Geographic style, and then just documenting the thing with just you know snapshots of okay, this is what happened and this is when it happened, kind of thing. When you when you look at it from the lens of people that are sitting in the at their desks making decisions about where the money's going to go and Okay, we could pay Doug K, you know, $25,000 or whatever amount to go to the Philippines and make a story out of this. Or we could pay nothing or very next to nothing and just license all these shots that are coming off of Flickr or whoever else and, and be done with it. We're, you know, do you, do you see those decisions being made? Or and if that is the case, that the, that kind of decision is being made, does it mean that photojournalism is doomed? Well, I, I hate to keep agreeing with Valerie. It's a trend that I shouldn't keep up, but uh, <laughs> it's okay. But I think there I think there are two roles. I mean, given the the spread of cameras and phones everywhere, we have the ability to capture events as they're happening before anybody sends someone out there. And that's yeah. an incredible value. You know, mm-hmm. the the airplane crashes and you've got pictures from on board the airplane, you know, as it's crashing into the ground. That's, that's an incredible thing that we didn't have years ago. Mm-hmm. But as Valerie said, there's always going to be the need for the the properly done photograph. Now, it may not be in journalism. As Valerie suggested, um, it may be something that is used, in this case, by people to raise money to to help people. Um, uh, you know, you're always going to have other things, but it might not be really from a pure journalistic perspective that the market for this kind of image continues. Yeah. I, w- I want to point out real quick that Colby Brown is actually on his way to the Philippines. So, yeah. oh. um, yes, so it's really exciting that um, he's. I think he's going on his, you know, his own money. And uh, to help out, and probably will capture some amazing images, very impactful. So, 
Love Wish it. him luck. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Good luck, Mr. Brown. We're looking forward to seeing the shots that you come out of there with. Um, okay, so this is this is this story is a you know it's not a story that will ever end. I don't think even I mean ten years from now we'll be debating depending on the state of photojournalism in ten years yeah. we'll still be debating you know is is it going away or should it come back or what are we missing now that photojournalism is gone? Did we shoot ourselves in the foot? You know it's it's the debate will continue on. Mm-hmm. So, all right, but continuing on with the show, the next story I want to talk about is about, is uh, getting the perfect shot. So I'm going to read what we have in the show notes here, and then we can discuss it a little bit. Um, we've got in here, and thanks, Pat, Patrick Reed is our show notes writer that put this in here. There's a recent article posted on Petapixel caught our attention. Seattle-based fine art and adventure photographer Scott Rickenberger tells the story behind his once-in-a-lifetime capture of a well-lit campsite and blazing meteor that entered the upper left corner of the frame just at the right moment, uh, just the right way to cap off an arguably perfect image. So why are we talking about this on TWIP? So I wanted to talk about this in the context of getting that perfect shot. So he got the perfect shot. He already had a really great shot composed and set up, and then this meteor happened to come in it just sort of capping it off. I've done shots like this too where it's just like all this stuff is happening and then just one little magic thing happens to make it what I would call a perfect shot for me. So how do you guys hypothesize – like Valerie, starting with you – when you go out on your workshops, and say you're doing street photography, and you've got your X100S out, and you know you got freshly formatted card in there, and you're ready to rock it, charged battery, you're ready to go. In your head, what is the perfect shot that you're looking for? Do you, are you just out there on a safari, like you know, I'm just gonna go capture stuff, and then I'll look at it later, like like almost like trick or treating. You're going out, you're getting candy, and then you look at what you got later at home to see if you got any Snickers in there. <laughs> or do you have a specific shot in your head that you're trying to get to when you when you hit the streets? Um, that's a good question because I just wrote something about that. Uh, no, it actually, I, I like to go out empty and let the street surprise me. Hmm. Um, and in street photography, very often it's a compromise between the perfect composition, light, and the story. And and the story will always win, and very similar to photojournalism. Um, but on rare occasions, everything comes together. And um, and those are the gems that don't happen very often. Um, and, and that's why um, street photogra- photography really calls for a different standard. Um, and and it's, it's a hard... If, like if you're a landscape photographer, and I've had a lot of landscape photographers come on my workshop, and and I always tell them you're going to have to reset your expectations because you're never going to get the right light at the right moment with the right gesture and mm-hmm. the right expression and the right the perfect story. So, um, so just set those expectations um, and reset those expectations. Now, um, know your camera really well. Be ready. Um, that means don't bother, you know, with a, a lens cap or anything. Keep your your camera on and and be ready to to anticipate. That's mm-hmm. very important in street photography is to anticipate the moment because you can't just be tr- um, um, machine gunning it uh, yeah. that which will attract attention. So really anticipate the moment and uh, and be persistent. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's important to just be open and to really take the time to to take it all in and and there is a story 
at, at every street corner is just a matter of seeing it and and getting it. and and also let the camera do some of the work too. It's I always say um, street photography is not the a good time to show your your um, skills and full manual mode. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You may miss the, you'll shot. Miss the shot. Let the computer exactly. help, right? So let the camera do some of the work and just be ready if you you know you need to adjust your ISO as you change side of the street or whatever, you know, do do those adjustments as you walk around. Um, I shoot an aperture priority and and um, and yeah, and you're as a street photographer. If you get one good shot in a day, it's a good crop. And I always tell my students, don't think that you will. I mean, you'll get some good shots, but the the great shot of the of your day of your week, uh, in any given week, even you know, if you get two three shots that you actually want to have on your wall, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So then, so then, one question I always wanted to ask you, Valerie. So in in the context of of photojournalism, which we kind of the theme of the show and storytelling when you're going out on a street photography mission are you going to like in your head are you going to tell a story that day like say you're in Paris and you're like okay I'm going to tell the story of amazing doors in Paris I'm just gonna shoot amazing doors that's my story or conversely are you trying to tell a story with one image at a time like okay this is a guy outside early morning baking bread or selling bread and he has its own story in one shot how does that work? Yeah, it's more the the second approach um, I do occasionally go out with a theme and it's fun to do when you're in a familiar environment and it feels like you've done it you've shot it all already so with a theme it's 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 fun but it also works well if you're in an unfamiliar place and a big city actually it's kind of overwhelming to try to capture it all mm -hmm. if you go out without something in mind um, you may just get a whole lot of mediocre shots whereas if you go out and think oh today I'm gonna photo I'm gonna do panning of people on red scooters or something then at least you're gonna have that doesn't mean that's all you're gonna shoot all day but you're gonna focus your attention on one thing and for sure you're gonna have a great series and then whatever else comes along the way you'll be able to capture as well um, but yeah I like to tell a story with just one image and mm. uh, and then move on to the next to the next um, uh, block and uh, or if I'm working um, at setting a stage if I find a really good spot then I'll, I'll stay for a while and uh, and and sometimes even tell a story of several people who walk through that same spot um, and it's interesting you know and I, I do it here in Minneapolis I do it in France and and it's part of the workshop everybody has to experience that and uh, and it's um, it's fun it's like a game I mean, that you could so cool. you find a good corner and um, a, a good backdrop, and you just wait for people. To, and you know when it's the right person, when it's interesting subject, you know right away. And, as it well, sounds as, like you're fishing, Valerie. You're you're. It's like when you go fishing. You're like yeah, you find a good spot and you bait your hook and you cast yeah. it and you catch what you catch, right? And actually, it's probably the only time ever that I can be in one. Spot one spot for a few minutes because I'm kind of go 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 but uh, it's uh, with photography it can be pretty patient so yeah. that's that's really fun and um, so yeah yeah Doug what about you so question. the perfect shot you know look at like when you're you do you lead photo walks you're 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 out there shooting around San Francisco and around the world from time to time when you put yourself out there and like put yourself in a situation you're in the hotel room you're getting ready to leave to go out to shoot at some exotic location 
do you have in your head, okay, I am going to shoot this, or I'm going to create a story of this type thing? In the, like Valerie saying, you have a theme in your head, or do you just go out there and, okay, my camera's ready, I'm on aperture priority, or I'm on manual, and I'm just going to capture whatever life throws at me that day? How do you work it? Well, first, Valerie just reminded me of a quick story. I was out, I found a stage in uh, downtown San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, shot maybe 50 shots of different people walking into my frame, and I got home, and my favorite image was the one that just had a pigeon. So, <laughs> you know, you could, there's all just the things you find out. Person, right right there. Right, exactly. um, but uh, is it fun, though? Yeah, it is great. It is great. There's nothing quite as much fun, and, you know, getting yeah. the timing just right is, is marvelous. And, and that's fishing, part of it. for pixels. Well, it's, it's yeah. the, the answer to your question is, um, you know, one of the things I, I say to my students is, um, well, first of all, I tell them must be present to win, which means you've got to get out and shoot or you're not going to get a good picture. Yeah. And, the, and that luck is the residue of design. Um, I I think if I look back to all that my... That is videos, very Miyagi. Come on. That is very, <laughs> that is very Mr. Miyagi but, right there. You know, if, if I look back to the images I'm most proud of, um, I can honestly say that every one of them was extremely intentional. The only difference is how much in advance of me pushing the button was it intentional. Uh, I've got some images that I planned out for a couple of days. You know, I would go back and look at the location over and over again until the weather or the light was right. I've got other images where I didn't know what I was doing until a millisecond before I pushed the button. Mm-hmm. But but I didn't just push the button. I, I had some some period of thought into it. And, you know, what you've like Valerie says, you've got to be prepared, uh, know your camera. One of the best things that a photographer who's not used to shooting on the street can do is take just one prime lens um, because, you know, that's going to right there start to define how you view the world. Um, 50-50, right, is what we always recommend. Whatever it is, or or a 35 or Mm -hmm. 28, whatever it is you're comfortable with or you feel like playing with that day. But um, I do – I – I do think that it's a matter of, you know, going back to the guy with the meteor, you know, he happened to be there. It was luck being the residue of design. He was setting up a great shot and got one that was even better than he planned for. Had he not been there at all, the shot never would have happened. If he hadn't composed a beautiful shot without a meteor, he wouldn't have had an even better shot with a meteor. So uh, everything has some degree of planning if it's going to work. But I, I totally agree with. Oops, sorry. No, go ahead, Valerie. With with uh, the intent, because before you press the shutter, you have to know what story you want to tell. No matter if you're in, doing street photography or or what, you still have that. You still need to. You you can't. It can't be a lucky shot. And I I've just had an article published today, actually on DPS about that. Um, that you. We photographers are getting a little careless because you have unlimited free shutter. Um, I can't yeah, remember. unlimited, un- unlimited <laughs> film. Free. It's, uh, it's exactly. a never-ending roll of film. And, right? and so it's it's both of, of service and disservice. Uh, I mean, the learning curve is much faster. It's free. But on the other hand, people don't take as much care in their composition. They shoot, 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 and then, oh, a lucky shot. And I think we need to reverse that and and make every shot count. And and yes, limiting yourself to uh, one lens and even to a number of shots for the day will will make any photographer grow and and make 
I, you know, I, I tell my students all the time, and it's usually not the time in Paris to start doing that, and I always tell them, you know, don't start shooting only 36 frames a day when you're in Paris, but once you get home, try it as an experiment. And out of 36 images that you're going to capture in one day that you're going to make every single one count, you're going to have more keepers than if you shoot 500. That is a really, really great t tip. So you're like, limit yourself, taking what Doug said, limit yourself on the x-axis, you know, the, the lens and the hardware choice, and on the y-axis, the number of shots that you're going to take. Now you're in a box. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you limit yourself to a couple of street corners like Valerie, <laughs> now you're really constrained. Is X, Y, and Z constrained? So now you better come out with something good. But, you know, I don't say to do it every day, but... but use it as a challenge and make every single shot count as if you had to pay for it because we used to have to pay for those you know when we shot film yes. and we were a lot more careful I actually had an idea. The other day I was thinking of something I really wanted to do. We were we were talking about cameras and all the retro styling, you know, from the X100S to some of the Olympus cameras. And I'm thinking if we want to go really retro Somebody should just push the idea of going out with a two gigabyte SD card and basically say, this card only holds 36 images. That's Someone right. did that. Someone did that. There was, was a, right? I, I don't know if it was a Kickstarter <laughs> campaign or something, but the whole idea was it was a camera that would only allow you to take a certain number of shots, period, gotta, for 24 hour be, period. It's got to be 24 or 36 to, to recreate the film days. I think that's yeah. the idea. And, and, huh. and, and I want to point out, before I get some mail, uh, this doesn't apply if you're a bird <laughs> photographer or a fast, fast action sport photographer or if you're photographing uh, little kids. <laughs> One shot. <laughs> so it, it's just an experiment. A, a fun project to do. Just do it this weekend. There. That that is a really a really good idea. So so okay, perfect shot though. So let's close this segment off. So, is there in Valerie? Starting with you on your side, have you attained something that you'd call a perfect shot in your life, or is it is it kind of like chasing the horizon for a photographer? You just you just always trying to get it, but you're never going to get it. I never want to reach that. I, that would be so sad. <laughs> we're practicing want... photographers. We're not photographers. Exactly. We're practicing. <laughs> I, I mean, we're never going to, nobody's ever going to be an expert at this, and we need to keep learning. And I think it would be real, like, actually, this guy in the article, it sounds like this was his the shot of his life, and I felt yeah. kind of sad. He's like, okay, what are you going <laughs> You could go on the stamp collecting now, dude. You're dead. <laughs> and so, no, I don't. I mean, I I feel like I mean there are images that I'm very excited and very proud of more than others. But no, my next shot is uh, my best shot is my next one, hopefully. But yeah, not, I love not, that. Yeah. Doug, what about you? Have you uh, are you done? Is it time for Doug K to hang it up, hang up his cape, and go on to stamp collecting? Yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Uh, no, I, mean, I mean, if I if I didn't think that I could go out tomorrow and come up with a better shot than all the ones I've done before, uh, I wouldn't go out. So, no, certainly yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I love that. I love those tips, though. The tips on on um, limiting yourself. That is is really interesting, especially in this era. Like Valerie, you. I mean, when we started the show, you were talking about not only the the ability to have unlimited you know, uh, the unlimited roll of film in your camera, but with that Samsung <laughs> device, that's 
an unlimited server in the cloud that you can shoot to. Yeah. So it takes it to the next level of, you know, you can just shoot forever and you'd never fill up anything, you know. So yeah. craziness, craziness. All right. Uh, the next story I want to chat with you guys about is um, it's sort of, it's all related, right? It's all photography. But this one's about Flickr. So Flickr um, has jumped back into the bookmaking business. So they um, have created, let's see me read this. So they have books that they just released a service where they're creating high quality print books that start at $34.95 for a 20-page book um, with extra pages costing costing 50 cents each. Uh, 24, 240 pages is the maximum length of the book and that one is 154 bucks. Some specs on the books that Flickr is offering, 8.5 by 11, glossy dust jacket, luster paper, and they ship them in five to seven days. So this is, you know, back in my time at Apple, I was working on the project iPhoto, which was doing books and prints, and you could you could order a book right out of iPhoto. Zenfolio does books. I believe SmugMug does, does books. Books have been out there for a while. To this panel, the question is, do people want printed matter like that? Or So th- there's two sides. There's always a devil's advocate piece of this. So do people really care about printed matter when they can share all these images on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and all that? Who cares about making a book? Or, on the other side of it, because no one's making books anymore, are books that much more impactful when you get one? So now you create a book and you give it to somebody at Christmas, they're going to just be floored because you actually took the time to create something out of physical matter instead of electrons. <laughs> so, Doug, what, what do you think? Where, where do you fall on it? Physical books? Yes, no, thumbs horizontal. Well, for, for me, it's a yes. I do two to four books every year. Um, mm. I, I don't make them available to the public, but you know, I do an annual book literally of all my best images for the year that go to family, friends, and students. Mm. Uh, I do, um, uh, for every major trip, you know, I did one for my trip to Turkey. I haven't done one yet for my trip to Cuba, but, but I, I may still do that. Um, did you have like a bookshelf, like an Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, right. lineup of that's books right. that Doug, Doug over the years? That's it. That's it. Next next time you're over here, I'll show you my bookshelf. Okay, I want to see that. <laughs> in fact, if I thought about it, I would have run to the other room and brought some of them in here. I would have shown them cool. off. But, you should but, go back and look at like from years ago to see how your photography has evolved. Oh, over time. No, that's exactly right. No, uh, I'm not kidding. Uh, that's critical to go back and look at previous years when you – Put together a book that you thought was your best images of the year, and look at that two or three years later. Uh, it's it's very valuable to do that. So, I also happen to be a big believer in printing. Printing has helped my photography perhaps more than anything else. Martin Bailey, I'm sure, would agree with that because yeah. I learned that from him. Me too. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I believe in printing as the final expression, and I also believe that the the book, although the quality of the images in the book isn't as good. Uh, it, it's the same thing. The other thing about a book is, goes back to our first story, is that in a book you have a new way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a single image, you have a single image to tell a story. In a book, you have a sequence of images and it gives you a, a broader opportunity. So I think it's a, a very good way to do it. And But, hey, that's just me. I think the majority of people out there never print, I mean the vast majority, never print any images. So. Yeah, uh, and I wonder. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good segue. Um, the with the vast majority not printing, or even being unaware that how easy it is to create a book like this, is is that world just sort of diminishing? You know, is it just sort of you know okay, 
like in other words, kids today are going to just share their stuff online in the new and innovative ways that keep showing up to share images and well, I don't, video, I don't and they'll think, just jump over print completely. Yeah, I don't think too many kids are going to take their equivalent of Instagram images and do $155 books with them. Right. Um, you know, uh, I think there's there's a market for something else, but, it, you know, I, the Flickr stuff looks a little expensive to me. Yeah. Valerie, what about you? Are you a, are you a printer? Are you a digital sharer or a one-off person? Um, I, I, I love the books, and actually um, – I have done blurb books before. Mm, and, blurb, uh, yes. So it, I might have missed blurb. Yeah, and blurb. that's direct, you know, you can drag a drop from Lightroom, so it's super easy. You have the layout. Yeah. It even tells you how much it's going to cost as you put your pictures in and yeah. add pages. The Lightroom will tell you how much it's going to cost. Um, and I think the prices are pretty similar. And I think Flickr, I'm not on Flickr, but they will probably have that option that you just drag and drop your Flickr images onto the layout of the book. And they it's better a, have that option. Super, <laughs> yeah, super easy way to, to put a book together. So I think it's, it's a great idea. And um, I, I think books are great. I, uh, it, on my workshops, actually, I, I always tell my student to keep that, that in mind, and a lot of them will produce a, a blurb book at the end uh, once they get home because it's not all about street photography it's also about storytelling and, and getting those um, the wide the medium and the the, the close-up shots to really tell a story in multiple images and and having that in mind and the book is the end result throughout the week on the workshop really helps them see those shots though those little vignette shots that are so important like you see in a magazine layout it you have the big picture of uh, whatever the Eiffel Tower but then you have the the baguette and the coffee cup and the croissant and those are the vignette shots that really tell the story so throughout the week uh, we discuss that and they they work on building that that book basically so. I love that I love it and I also love Doug that your idea of of creating that encyclopedia of K, you know, the, the, <laughs> the yearly, the yearly uh, almanac of Doug K that you put together. I think that's a great idea, just to you know, and it gives you something to do and something to shoot for, literally with all the images that you do over the year. You know, it could even be a a, a hodgepodge of your. DSLR and your mirrorless images and some camera phone and Instagram images. You can bring everything together to just sort of tell the story of your year and capture it in a book. Right? Well, it's just sort of interesting. I just finished my 2013 book, uh, sent it to Blurb uh, about two or three days ago, and the, the final version of it. And um, a lot of the images in that were taken using the test gear that I've had for all about the gear shows. Awesome. awesome. Uh, you know, I've actually had some of my favorite images uh, from that. Uh, so that's been great. And you, Frederick, you are now on my list to get one of my 2013 books. So you awesome. Have, uh, cool. Thank yeah. you. I, I will be honored to. You can start your shelf. encyclopedia. You have right. <laughs> volume one. You can have I, have, I think I have a shelf of Doug. Right. I have <laughs> open on my shelf behind me that I will start my Doug K collection. <laughs> you have to get rid of some cameras. I know. I know. I have to get, throw some of these old cameras out. I'll start with the books. <laughs> That's cool. So it's interesting that I hear both of you guys are blurb users. Now is yep. that is that uh, a, I mean, intentional? I mean, like or. Are using Blurb over other services for a specific reason? I, I like the quality and um, the different quality of paper and hardcover, the different formats. Um, 
different price ranges, and, and you can actually sell them too directly. Um, oh, right, right. So yeah. I mean, it gets to be very expensive. But um, this is the print on demand, right? There, there are more expensive services out there that do really good quality, but there are a lot of really cheap ones too. Um, so Blurb isn't a good um, kind of not too expensive, but not, not cheap, meeting. and it's it, the quality is really good. I've never been disappointed, and and none of my students who've um, done blurb books have been disappointed. They're always so proud to show them. And so, yeah. love it. And and what's the turnaround time on those? Flickr's saying five to seven days. Is it similar? Um, how, how long is it lately, Doug? I haven't done one myself uh, in a while. But... You know, I I specified on my last order slowest, cheapest shipping, and <laughs> and they and they ship within a week. So it's yeah. about the same. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And they're they're it's interesting. I ordered uh, I always for when I'm going to do my annual book because I print a few, quite a few copies. I order a, a, a you know a sample to make sure everything looks good and my spelling and the captions is right and everything. And then I order the real book and it's it's different. They use different printing companies around the country uh, and here in the U.S. They use different places and you'll get slightly different paper and slightly different quality. But I agree with Valerie. I've been I've been very happy with it. By the way. I tried to use Lightroom, um, and because I do a fair amount of captioning and formatting, um, I went back to using their own app, which is called Booksmart, which is a free app you can get from them, and I found that a little easier to use. The oh, Blurb okay. app. The Blurb app the blurb is Booksmart. App, yeah, yeah, a little simpler for me. Okay. Interesting. All right, I'm going to play with that tonight. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks. They're, they're good. They're In fact, good. I'm going to end I'm, the I'm show right now because I'm going to go play with Blurb. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I kid, I kid. But we are going to end this segment and move on to the listener Q&A. This is where um, you guys get to answer a question that has been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. This one is from Elisha Landman, and she's in our TWIP community on Google+. She asks, what iPhone, iPad apps do you recommend for organizing pictures from your camera roll? So, hmm. Valerie, mm. I'm going to let you answer. You're the, you're the camera phone person of the, month of the show. <laughs> no, we because have a beta I, tester. Come I, on. I, uh, I leave. I actually, I use uh, an iPhone. Samsung yes. should probably would not be pleased with that. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, and I just keep them on my phone. I'm terrible. I I don't shoot much with my iPhone either. But, um, I don't have any organized way of doing it. So. Yeah. I'm actually the same way. That's interesting. That's an interesting question because I don't use I have I have several let me look at my phone right now. I have several photography or photo related apps. So I have a folder on here called Photo and in it I've got the camera, I've got Sony Play Memories, I've got Panasonic's image app, Snapseed, um, iPhoto, Flickr, five hundred pics, Instagram, iFi, Flixel, Shoot List, Photoshop. <laughs> Zenfolio. So, so why are you asking us? This is just what's on my phone. But no, so the point is, I only use like one or two of these apps. I don't even know why I have one there. I think they make me feel better by having them in there. But I don't, I barely use, I mean, I'll use Instagram. Um, every now and then I might use 500 pics. I'm in Snapseed a lot, turns out. But usually for organizing, like this listener's question is about organizing. I don't have anything specific mm -hmm. that I use to organize. I just use the built-in photos app on the camera. I don't even use iPhoto on this thing. You know, I, just use, I use the camera and the photos app. I shoot, they go in there. If I need to tweak it, I go into Snapseed generally, make my tweaks, and, and save them. 
Yeah. Doug, what about you? You, uh, you're the you're the gearhead. You probably have every <laughs> app known to man on your phone. Right? Absolutely untrue. <laughs> uh, but uh, in this case, I do have an app I use. Um, uh, it's called Portfolio, mm-hmm. and you can find it at iPhonePortfolioApp.com. I'll put that in the show notes so that okay. people can find it. Um, I'm not going to tell you it's the best. I don't know that. I've been using it for a few years, and I've developed a, a decent workflow that basically goes from Lightroom to Dropbox to, to this app, and it syncs with Dropbox, and that's one of the reasons I use it. And so I maintain uh, my portfolio and you know multiple multiple portfolios, if you will, on my iPad and iPhone with this app. Uh, it works for me. It's been around a while. The company seems to support it. That's good. But other than that, um, the only other thing I would suggest is um, uh, iPhoto. I mean, I've got to believe the people that I know who use iPhoto find it to be very good for doing, first of all, doing some post, simple post-production, but also for uh, synchronizing with the phone. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I but I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't use uh, iPhoto, so I'm not, I can't yeah, either. I mean, I bought it. I, well, I guess I, they give it to you now when you yeah. buy the new phone. Um, but I I haven't even launched iPhoto on yeah. my iPhone 5s. I haven't launched it, so, so I don't know. So I would say check out yeah check out portfolio. It works for me, uh, but definitely I would consider iPhoto before I'd even look at anything else. Okay, awesome, very good. All right, and Valor, you got nothing on that, right? It's <laughs> like <laughs> so I got nothing. I got nothing. All right, guys, let's jump into the Picks of the Week segment, and this is where you guys get to recommend something to the TWIP listening and viewing audience, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Valerie, I'm going to let you go first. What is your pick of the week? Valerie is not there. Valerie is gone. Uh-oh, we lost Valerie. Guy, I guess she was uh, upset about that. Uh, we'll I let her join. We'll She'll let her rejoin. Okay. She'll come back. So, Doug, why don't you go first? What's your pick of the week? While we well, mine, I, I, I hope mine hasn't been picked previously, but I think that it might have been. Uh, you know, our friend Giulio Siorio came up with, uh, you know, we all got to borrow his camera, his GX7, which was awfully nice. Yeah. And one of the things he had on there was these bright red straps. Yeah. And, that's, his, that's his signature color. Yeah. You know, I, I, I fell in love with those straps. So I asked him about it, and I tracked it down. They're from a company called Lance Camera Straps. It's a small family-owned business in Virginia, and I really like these straps. They're leather in some cases. The ones I like were just the nylon ones. They're like a thick braid. They're really comfortable. Uh, They have a couple of nice quick-release systems that make them real convenient, uh, and they're very reasonably priced. So, again, look in the show notes for the link. But uh, you tell me what you think, but I really like these Lance camera straps. I'll tell you. You know, here's here's my Panasonic well, GX7. Hey, oh, see, look. look you right can actually, there. So for people, who, for people who get to see the video and don't just get the audio, that's – Frederick's got a – it's black. Is it a black one? This is this is a black one. Yeah, it's a black yeah. a black braided one with leather – or red trim. Yeah. On it. So I'm the I'm the exact opposite of Julio. He likes his his camera straps are red with black trim. Mine are black with red trim. Right. So I think I think uh, yeah. I mine are black. I don't have them here at the moment because one of my students has them. But um, I also got for small cameras. Uh, I got a wrist strap, a really nice little wrist strap, and again very comfortable. Highly recommended. And they will for the same price they'll make a custom length for you. You just tell them how long you want it, and they'll cut it yep. to length. 
Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, I, I contacted him, and he said, yeah, how long do you want it? So I was like, oh, I don't know. So <laughs> so yeah. I measured, you know, what's the, where do, so basically what I did was I stood up and I said, okay, where do I want my camera resting when it's sitting in front of me? And then I got a piece of string, and I went around, and I said, okay, that's the camera strap. <laughs> and then I measured the string, you know, so that's the ideal length for my neck to camera, yeah. you know, Iron Man position on my chest. Is is my camera strap? So, yeah, I love it. It's a yeah. it's a great strap. Yeah, so, definitely so, recommend so no, those guys. That's no, Lance camera straps, right? Yeah, and no one's done that before on the show, so I was the first. Yes, I hope so. you okay, were the first. Good, good. you okay. were the first. You're brand new. Cool. All right, Valerie's back. Valerie, back. we were we were stalling, waiting on you. Yeah, good. I had to reboot and everything. <laughs> oh, um, did yeah, nice. <laughs> All right, what's your pick of the week? Oh, and mine is free, and it's uh, Photo Comment Magazine. Um, oh, and our look at friend that. Tristan. Tr Tristan Hall from Johannesburg. And uh, you can get it online for free, and we'll put the link. And it's a great magazine, and it also has a print version that's only available in South Africa. And I am I'm just wrote a short article for the next issue. So there, check Very it cool. online. Yeah, and it's, it. uh, and it's free. So It is free. Well, and Okay, so the Lance camera straps, Doug, what, what's the price of those? Do you remember? Uh, the big strap costs between like 26 and I think 26 for the wrist strap. I think I paid 40 for the long one, which okay. is not bad. Okay, that is, that is, and, and these things will last forever. I mean, it feels like I'm not buying another camera strap for a decade or so. Um, okay, so that's yours, Valerie. Yours is free. Mine, I think I'm going to win in terms of cost <laughs> because mine is right here. I don't know if you guys can see this. Oh. Do you see this? So if you're listening to the listener audience, I'm holding up Google Glass right now. Um, and I'm, I'm going to wear it for just a minute so I can look dorky. Um, so these things, this is my pick of the week. So these things cost uh, 1500 bucks, and it's invite only. Right now, so you can't you can't even go to Google.com or someplace and buy a pair of these. You have to be invited to get them, and then if you are invited to get them, it costs fifteen hundred bucks to to wear them. So, but the cool thing is, and why I'm making it my pick of the week is this is a prototype, right? So the, what I'm wearing, I don't believe is going to be what the shipping version looks like. But the concept of the technology is really interesting, specifically from a photography standpoint, because that's the that's the sort of the vertical I'm looking at these in. And even niche down further than that, the point of view videography standpoint. So being able to do tutorials and show people things with my hands in the shot as I'm doing them and record 720 video live with these things, it's crazy. It's just <laughs> it's kind of cool to be able to do that. And then you layer on top of that the fact that you can send that video directly up to Google Plus and share it or do a Hangout from these things. It just starts getting really kind of crazy and interesting. So it's a, definitely a proof of concept and definitely um, a new category of wearable computing. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not going to be for everybody. I posted a picture of me wearing those on Google Plus. With sunglasses. The they look good with yeah, sunglasses on. Yeah, with the, yeah, because they have a sunglass insert into them. Like, oh, they do. Okay, I yeah, thought you put so them with your sunglasses. You. So oh. right here. That so comes is, with it, or is it extra? Yes, yes. So here's a sunglass insert, and then you just stick them in there, and boom, now they're sunglasses. 
or you can also get a clear glass insert and they just become goggles. So I posted a picture of me wearing them outside with the sunglass insert and, you know, indicative of the audience, people are polarized. You know, people are like, <laughs> I've never seen anything look as dorky as that. And other people are like, that's the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> so, so it's just like everything else. There's going to be people that love it and people that hate it. But that's, so why, when, that's why the world is so interesting. Yeah, and when, right. when are we going to have an episode of TWIP uh, with your POV shot from your, sun, from your Google Glass? Um, you know, I wanted to do it on this show, but I didn't think it made sense because why would you want to see what I'm seeing in the Hangouts? <laughs> <laughs> so you'd be looking at yourself. Point. It's not All like it's us. looking at me. It's looking at your, you know. So, I mean, it would make more sense if I went out and did a Hangout where I'm showing a photography technique or I'm out. Like, Valerie, you could wear them and you're doing street photography and you're saying, okay, this is how I approach people, you know. And I, I don't That's know. That's what I want to do. I want to do a tutorial, actually. Uh, like uh, yeah, like a first person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's when us. you'd want to use those. You wouldn't want to use yeah. them for just a person-to-person -person conference hangout like this. I don't yeah. think. I so. I smell another episode of All About the Gear. I agree. I 100% agree. We should uh, <laughs> let's tear them down. Let's definitely tear go. them down. No, when are they when are they going to be released to the general I, public? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've been hearing varying rumors from. You know, before the end of the year to early next year yeah. to sometime next year. Is hope. Because I guess they'll be supposed, done when they're done. They're only supposed to be like 500 bucks, right? I don't know. When, I mean, that's what I heard. But That would be nice if they were 500 yeah. you know, or, or less. So we'll see. It's an interesting, you know, not to belabor the point on those guys, but it's it's interesting because they are, it's definitely a new genre of technology, right? Because it takes some getting used to of like looking up and touching it and, and talking. It's like talking to Google and Google's almost in your head, you know, because I can hit it and say, okay, Glass, what time is it in Madagascar? And it'll tell me, you know, or if it's connected to an Android phone, like if I connect it to my Moto X, I could say, okay, Glass, um, you know, give me directions home, and it'll give me turn-by-turn -turn directions in the heads-up display of how to get home. And they're adding in music. So soon I'll be able to if connect it to the Play Store, and I'll be able to say, okay, Glass, you know, play, play the new Eminem album. You know, <laughs> it'll just play it in my head and I'll be able to control it. So stuff like that, it's it's really interesting. But when you look at it from a, you know, we're used to these things, like proper, full-on, high-resolution cell phones, supercomputers in our hands, and then you go to something that has a lower-resolution display that's not as powerful and is limited on the UI, it, it takes some getting used to of when you would use that over using this. So that's... You know, it's uh, definitely, Doug, you're right, definitely a topic for All About the Gear. I've got some definite thoughts on it, so, okay. and I will share those. Well, now Doug is going to have to borrow them for a yeah. while. <laughs> Doug, you, yeah, Doug. Yeah, see, the problem with letting Doug borrow them is I will never get them back. <laughs> yeah, look what he's got in his hand. He borrowed that from me. Doug's holding up my QX100 oh, yeah. lens. And, uh, yeah, I've been funny, trying to get that how, back. He won't give it back. How I, funny how I've still got a hold of it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you see, another, that's another, another like, new form factor for photography, right? It's, it uh, is. It it's is. Awesome. And, it's a, and it's almost as crazy as Google Glass. It's almost as crazy. It's different. Hey, crazy is, only, is relative, right? It depends on the person. Crazy is in well, the eye of the beholder, or in the case of glass, one eye of the beholder. <laughs> But it's never boring, at least. I mean, there's every day there's something new. Yep. I think yep. it's a great time to be a photographer. Yep. 
It's like fishing in the ocean. There's always something new. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we end the show, I just want to remind the listeners that there's a very special interview at the end of the show with a friend of mine. He's the CEO of a company called Shoot.Edit. And um, this interview was focused specifically on pricing for photographers and how to the how to go about pricing your work and uh, doing it the right way methodically. So definitely stick around to check that out. I think we're at the end of the show. This is the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Doug K, where are you at online? Where would you like people to go to keep up with you? Uh, just go to DougK.com. You can find everything else from there. Look for me on Google+. Wow, that's it, huh? Everything's it's, linked from Doug K. More or less. More or less. More or yeah. less. Cool. If, you can, cool. if you can remember to put the E on the end of K, you'll be just fine. <laughs> K-A-Y-E. Right. There you go. Cool. All right, Valerie, where are you um, at online? Um, my website, and then you can find me on the social media. Just either Google my name or valeriejardinphotography.com, all in one word. Excellent. All right. Thank you both for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. And listeners, if you'd like to keep up with everything TWIP-related, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com and join our community page over on Google+. If you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com or on Google Plus at plus.google.com slash Frederick Van. Actually, it's slash plus Frederick Van. (laughs) And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. Okay, I'm here with a good friend of mine, Mr. Jared Bauman. He's the guy behind a company you may have heard of. It's called Shoot.Edit. Um, he is the founder and the president of that company. So I'm in... Uh, I feel humbled. I'm talking to somebody with the title of president. With Jared, Jared, Jared and I go. See, that's way... funny because I thought president sounded less presumptuous than so many of the other titles that are out there. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But president is kind of up there. Come on, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Uh, but so you are. So let's just jump right into it. So first of all, before we jump into the interview, I just want to have you explain what the value proposition is behind shoot.edit a little bit, and then I want to get into the main thrust of this conversation, which is going to be about pricing, which is you know, a thorn in a lot of the heels of it. some starting photographers that are jumping into business. Like, what do I price my stuff at? Do I, you know, do I price high? Do I price low? Do I just copy my competitors? What do I do? So you solve that nut, and we're not going to talk about that. So before we do that, what is Shoot.Edit, and why did you build it? Back in, you know, 2006, 2007, we're shooting, and just all we were doing was shooting and editing. And so we'd shoot, and then we would edit, and then shoot, and edit and completely leaving all the rest of our business behind the marketing, the networking, the correspondence, you know, and, um, we hired an editor and built a system for that editor. And, um, you know, I mean, years later that grew into what shoot.edit is now, which is, you know, helping thousands of photographers around the, around the world, just remove the burden. I think of post-production is probably the best way we've found to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's incredibly burdensome and, Shoot.edit kind of it gives photographers the ability to go back to doing what they love and what makes them money rather than spending all their time on, uh, on post-production. So in a nutshell, I'm a photographer. I go out. I shoot a wedding. 
I send you guys the media, whether it be on SD, CEF, hard drives, or even through the internet. You guys take it and you you have special profiles in house that say Frederick likes his stuff like this. You edit everything, cull it down, get rid of all the shots of my foot, all that stuff. Send me back a library and or an album that's ready to go and ready for me to show my client. Is that is that kind of close? That's that's it. Any and all of the above. I mean, you know, our bread and butter is color correction. We you know eat, drink, breathe color, <laughs> and our color profiling system is pretty robust and uh, is made to handle every photographer's style. And uh, and that's the cool thing is that you know we edit according to your chosen color profile, so we return them the way you want them. Um, and yeah, most people send them to us via upload, get them back uh, via a workflow, the, you know, Lightroom or Aperture, various things. And uh, we're fast, you know, we believe in fast, so we turn it around as fast as 48 hours and get, get you back to doing what you love to do. Love it, love it. Okay, so let's switch gears and talk about pricing, right? So it's a problem for a lot of people, and I, I'm, you know, I'm no stranger to that either. When you first jump into the business, you're like, okay, how do I price myself? Do I, yeah. do I go high, you know, and or do I price exactly at my competitors? Do I undercut my competitors to try to steal their business away? Do I, do I go boutique and say, you know what, I'm going to price it double what everybody else is and do this sort of perceived value thing? How do you, how do you crack that nut? How do you know what's the right path to walk down when you're pricing yourself? It's so hard to know where to start pricing. And price is one of those things where it's not necessarily the fun stuff, like, say, the uh, shooting or the networking or the marketing. There's so many things that about this business I know as a creative I love. And the, the, the editing was never, the, uh, the pricing was never really one of them. Um, and I developed a love of it in college. And so that was an area that when I would talk to people, um, they would really express this need. And that was something that um, it kind of came natural to me. The place you want to start is to not go out there and copy your competitors. Because here's what we do. We tend to, because it's a difficult decision, we tend to go out and just try to take the path of least resistance. Yeah. Look around, see what our competitors are charging, see what our friends are charging. Maybe, you know, do a little bit of math, make sure that, you know, if I charge that much, will I make enough? And then move on to something else. <laughs> Yeah, and right. that's not the right way to do it. The path of in case is not the best path because it has to be based on you, on your business, on your goals, on your clients, on all of these things. And there's a, there's a process to figure it out, but it, it is not necessarily easy, and it certainly isn't necessarily quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it's it, that's scary for a lot of people, myself included. So it sounds like I can't just say, you know what, um, you know this famous photographer over here is charging $12,000 to shoot a wedding. So I figure I'm about half as good as they are. So I'm going to charge six. So that doesn't work. <laughs> no. And believe it or not, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work at all for a number of reasons. Um, but, uh, most importantly, it's just based on everything that that other person is doing and nothing on what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I know that, that sounds very personal, but we're in a personal business and the, the pricing has to be dependent on where you want to go and what your clients want, which means you have to figure that out before you can do your pricing. Yeah. Well, how do you, how do you figure that out? I mean, what are the questions that you need to ask yourself in order to get in that space of, okay, or in the, we'll just say, let's call it reality, <laughs> to, to be in the yeah. space of reality of what I can actually charge and realistically pull home? You know, you, yeah, you want to start, and this is good even if you already have your price. 
because you want to revisit it all the time. Yeah. You want to look into it. I mean, I would review my pricing probably once, twice a year, you know, just continue to look it over uh, at the beginning of the year, during the middle of the year, make sure you're on track. So even if you're not starting out, it's healthy to revisit and make sure you know where you want to go. Know the end before you get there. Um, you know, what does the end look like? For me, as a wedding photographer, always how many events do I shoot? How much do I want to make? And these are very loose numbers. Obviously, if I put a number on the board and say I want to shoot 20 weddings, I probably will not hit 20. I'll probably hit less than that or more than that, but probably won't hit 20. If I put a number on the board of how much I want to make, I'll probably make less than that or I'll probably make more than that. I probably won't make exactly that, but you've got to have a starting point. And so you need to know as a, from a goal standpoint, you know, how many do I, want, do I want to shoot and how much do I want to make? Yeah. And that's easy for event photographers, but it really translates to every type of photography, you know, whether it's events or units or, you know, whatever it is that you sell in your photography business, you need to know how many of those you want to move and how much you want to make. And you want to start there because that's where you've got to start when you look at how much you charge. Now, and that's that's the metrics that you were talking about, right? So that's that's sort of the looking into the matrix and saying, okay, and what, what, one of the things you said was really, or all of it, but one of the things really stuck out was knowing where you want to go. And I think a lot of people, we, a lot of people go through life, not answering that question. You just sort of, you know, live check to check or just sort of figure things out as you go along and rely on your wits to get you through the jungle when not knowing what's on the other side of the jungle, as that applies to pricing, you're saying, okay, in order for me to feel like I was a success in 2013 or 2014, I want to have made $80,000 this year. That's the mark. Okay. Now what do I need to do to get to that? So right. how, what's, what's some of the math in there to, to get to that number though? Well, and that's why I think that's why I like to use the word metrics. Like you just said, because goal is kind of goal implies like, you know, I, <laughs> I know there's that phrase like shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you'll land amongst the stars, you know, yeah. like, that kind of thing. like goals imply, put it up on a wall and dream and all that kind of stuff. And this isn't supposed to be dreams. This, uh, there's, there's room for that. Don't get me wrong, but that's why I like to say metrics. This is supposed to be, no, really like, what do I think I can and should do this year? And how much do I think I can and should make this year? And, um, and it does have a little bit of a dream component to it, but it also has a reality component to it. You know, I need to make $60,000 for my bills. I think I can make 100000 Maybe I'll put down 80000 mm-hmm. um, But, you know, you want to – you have to know this number. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having – with separating the goals from the metrics, with knowing that my goal might be to shoot a lot more than I actually need to shoot. Um, I know for me when I first started off, I didn't take that part very, this part very seriously. It was when people would ask me, how many weddings do you want to shoot this year? And I'd say, well, as many as I can book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was true, by the way. I was – young and I didn't really have anything else I had to worry about. I didn't have anything limiting me. If I could have booked 40 weddings, I probably would have shot 40 weddings. But that doesn't change the fact that even if that was my goal or even if that was how many I would shoot, I needed to shoot and thought I could shoot about 25 maybe. You know, the goal can be different from the metric, but we want to use those metrics to build our pricing so you can have a solid foundation. I'm priced based on the fact that I'm going to try to shoot 25 weddings this year as an example, you know. And so you need to have a number in mind, even if that number, you know, isn't necessarily what you're shooting for, a number that you can use to build pricing off of. Yeah, I love that. And it, it just, for me, in my own head, when I, when I have something that I'm, I know it's a definable you know, target, let's call it. I was going to say goal, but 
<laughs> it's a definable target that I'm going for. I can I can measure how successful I'm. Even during the day, if I know that my goal, I f- I can feel like I'm a success if I do this many interviews or if I do this much work on this company or do whatever. Then I know that I'm a success. If I just leave it open ended, then I at the end of the day I don't know if I made traction or not. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. And it gives you a great way to look back and say, you know, after a while you get good at it because you say, well, my goal was 25 weddings and I shot 20. And, you know, what can I do to get to 25? Or my goal was to sell this much, um, you know, this, this many prints from my landscape business. And I didn't do that. Or I did do that. And I did better than that. Why is that? And you can then compare it to how much you made. And why well, I, I sold more, but made less. Why is that? You know, maybe I need to adjust. And it really gives you a great point to look back on at the end of the year, even though that's not really the design of it. There's so many fringe benefits that come from it. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the demographics and, or your, well, I'll call them your personal demographics. In other words, the people that you would attract into your, your business, you know, and I know you can niche down into several different categories, whether they be geographic, religious, rate, whatever, you know, you can Mm -hmm. sort of niche it down. But from your perspective on pricing, how does all that stuff work in? And how do you sort of look at that and overlay that, those different demographics of who might want to hire you, then funnel that into that, the ultimate goal of, okay, I want to make this much money a year. Well, yeah, it's so important. And nobody, I don't want to say nobody, but it's so rare that people actually consider that. I mean, pricing, when you really look at it, it's not all that sexy. It's just putting, it's giving people a way to buy you and buy what you do. That's really all pricing is. I mean, pricing is kind of like the middle ground between your clients who says, I want you and what you do. And you who say, I have this awesome thing that I want to do for you and I want to provide for you. And pricing just gives them the ability to, to buy that, to, to purchase it, to secure that, to ha- allow you guys to work together. And when you think about it that way, all of a sudden it becomes really clear that my job as a photographer is to make what I do easily available to people who want to buy it. Mm-hmm. But we, we leave that part out sometimes. We sit down and we sit, we sit there and we say, well, I'm just going to put everything on paper. I'll put a price tag or I'm going to put all these ideas in. What we don't take into consideration is the idea that there's a client on the other side that we need to consider. And the personal component is so important because there's so many different things we can do in photography. There's so many things, even if you kind of, like I said, niche down, like let's just look at weddings, for example. Um, there's so many different types of products and of services that I can offer as a wedding photographer. And what my clients want, what I attract as a brand is totally different than what your clients want and what your clients and what you attract as a brand. It does have something to do with kind of the marketing aspect of it, you know, attract the clients who wear this or attract clients who are like you. And I know this isn't a marketing discussion. There are similarities there, but really what we're trying to do is take that same concept to pricing and say, I know that my clients want certain things maybe an album if I'm a wedding photographer, maybe a wall print if I'm a, a portrait photographer, et cetera, et cetera. But what my clients want, totally different than what so-and-so's client wants, than what your client wants. And you have to build pricing that in- reinforces what your clients want. I mean, think about it. Mercedes attracts a totally different type of clientele than Kia. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with either car. Actually, both cars are great. But what 
but think about the kind of person that goes to buy a Mercedes versus the kind of person that goes and buys a Kia. They're going to have different wants and different needs. Mm-hmm. And if the Kia user didn't, or the Kia manufacturer didn't have taken into consideration what those specific buyers wanted in a car, they would do themselves a disservice because they wouldn't be selling to their demographic. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's, see, that's all gold. And, and I know we, we have limited time here, so I want to, I want to, sort of trail it off here I, one of the things that you send me i know you have a you're, you have a pricing course that's available out there for folks that want to sort of get a shot in the arm on how to just get this stuff done so kind of like jared in a hypodermic <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what's just quickly what's in that yeah, you know, I mean, it, 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 it probably does a better job of boiling it all down instead of all these, you know, figurative stories and whatnot. Really, <laughs> hey, I'm the king of you. analogies, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, well, that's good because I get going on those analogies. <laughs> no, it just boils down the process from A to Z of how to set up your pricing. Um, it, it goes through how to set up a package model. It goes through how to set up an all la carte model. It goes through how to set up um, your extras list to support that. I think the most – my favorite part is, is along with the lines that we talked about. It's how to determine what your client's – um, must-haves are. You know, I call it must-haves. It's what your clients must have out of you. That's the meat and potatoes. It, it takes you through the course um, of, of, of setting up your pricing, but it does it in a way to where you can set a pricing that's personalized for what your clients want out of you. Yeah, I love it. Okay, um, and just, I, I saw your name fly by, by the way, on, because I'm on the, where Twip loves Creative Live, and we mm-hmm. you know, love the guys over at Creative Live, um, Chase Jarvis and all those other dudes over there. And your name popped up. And so you did a course on business and marketing and pricing and all that stuff over there. How did that go? Really well. I'll tell you, three days uh, on Creative Live is uh, a real adrenaline rush. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of fun. It went really well. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. So, yeah, we'll, we'll link to that and point folks over to that in the show notes. Okay, one last question um, yeah. about pricing here. So as you're developing your pricing – so overlaying in social media and social influence and all that stuff. So does does that matter? In other words, does someone with a large following online that lives right next door, you know, like literally next door to someone who doesn't have a large following, can one person can the person with a large following command higher prices just because he people know him or her better or does it not work that way? Definitely. For better or for worse. I mean, in our culture, um, price equals value. Good. We, okay, I'm raising my prices then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, wanna, you want your communicate, uh, sorry, you want your clients to communicate to you how much they value you, charge more. Yeah. That's the only way that people in, that's the only way consumers know how to communicate value is through price yeah. because they're not experts in photography. Right. They can't look at a print and say, well, I understand the technicalities behind this. I they don't understand all that. It's, it's a, I always say it. It's, a, um, it's, a, uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's really an advanced product, and we're selling it to people who are not skilled at this. You know? yep. uh, and, and so the only way they know how good you are is by how much you charge. Yeah. I love it. I love it. A uh, uh, guy that we both know, Jeff Yoakum, used to say uh, photography is like selling – or selling photography, I don't want to misquote him, but he used to say selling photography is selling a sophisticated product to an unsophisticated audience. Not that That's exactly what it is. Right? So it's like, not that they're unsophisticated as in you know, lower class, is they don't, they're not intimate with what it takes to make a print or the art behind photography. Therefore, they can't 
place the value on it that we know needs to be on it. Therefore, they price it lower than it should be. So Jeff has a great example. If I could just tell it to you, tell it really quickly. Yeah. It's, it, you know, Jeff, uh, a friend of both of ours, and he, he was trying to really make me believe that. And I was kind of debating him about it many, many years ago. And he said, you want to know how you know that they don't know everything there is to know about this, that they actually, that price does equal value and that it's hard for them to understand how much you're worth. Why then when you're at a wedding or when you're at a shoot, they haven't even seen an image yet and they're looking at you and happily the way and they say, oh my gosh, these pictures are amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're such a good photographer. I know. I you're know. such a good photographer and you say, you haven't even seen any of the images. I'm like, well, I know they're going to be good. I can just yeah. tell. Well, because you have that big camera with a white lens on it. You must be good. <laughs> you must be good. You're making me smile and I'm happy and you've got a big camera, so they have to be good. I but know. it's so I true. You know, it's a... It's a sophisticated product to an unsophisticated client, meaning that they aren't as advanced and knowledgeable and expert as we are in it. So price equals value. What you charge communicates to them how much you're worth. Love it. Gold words from Jared Bauman. So uh, where would you like folks that are listening slash watching this to go to learn more about pricing and shoot.edit and all the other stuff that you're working on? Yeah, you know, I mean, pricing has kind of become the area that I have a passion in helping educate photographers in and... Um, uh, you can go to jaredbauman.com and, uh, you know, get more information there. If you want to sign up, I have a weekly newsletter I publish with just tips and tricks on pricing and other business ideas. Cool. Uh, shoot.edit is, is just how it sounds. Shoot.edit.com. Um, and, uh, all spelled you know, that, out. Shoot. All spelled out. Right? Good point. Yeah. yeah. I need to keep saying that. I forget now. That's all right. I got your back, man. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. You were there from the beginning. You're the one. I mean, I think I talked to you and it's still, I think what you call it a paper napkin idea. Yes. It was a wet paper napkin idea. That. <laughs> yes. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. So any more information, uh, if people are interested in checking out what shoot it does and, and all the post-production tips and tricks that we have on there, just go to shoot.edit.com all spelled out. Awesome. Well, man, thank you for taking the time today to chat with me. This is uh, my mind is blown again. I'm going to go check that out. Going to go dive into that course. Oh, speaking of that course, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. You graciously <laughs> offered up to cut your price in half on that course. It's 199 bucks, and you're giving it to the TWIP audience for 99 bucks with the code TWIP. Correct. That's correct. Just like I say, price equals value, so why not discount 50% off, right? I love it. I love it. No. Well, no, every, I, everyone, I, uh, knows, everyone knows I'm always begging for discounts from my audience, so <laughs> you well, came in prepared. Frederick, I couldn't help but, uh, of course, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's a valuable course, and um, uh, I, you know, I, think, I think people will get a lot out of it, and uh, that puts it at a price point where for eight or nine hours of content, it's, it's, uh, it makes it a lot easier to be able to swallow. <laughs> wow, 100 bucks for nine, eight or nine hours of content. That's, that's crazy. Cool. All right, man. Well, thank you, and uh, you enjoy your evening. Thanks a lot for the insight. My pleasure. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, likewise. Take care.